0: Hi, and welcome back to the Reinvention Lab Audio Experience Season 2. I'm Elizabeth. I'm your host this season, and I work in service of storytelling at the lab. Today, we are talking about grades. Now, don't close your podcast player. Don't run. Don't close the tab. Um, We're talking about how grades can and should look different than what most of us, many of us, experienced or are experiencing as learners. This is a school district in North Dakota that has adopted standards-based grading, which is an alternative to traditional percentage and letter grading. So standards-based grading, A through F, 90%, we don't know her. We are talking about a different approach to assessment that is more deeply grounded in mastery, more deeply grounded in the evidence that learners are producing, And inevitably, something like doing away with an A through F grading scale brings a lot of change and a lot of um, kind of evidence of upheaval because it is such a stronghold in our education system. So you'll hear Corey talk through some of the symptoms of that that he saw in taking on something like standards-based grading as a part of a team at his school district. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I hope it raises something for you about what can be radically different about the future of learning. And I hope that this conversation provides a bright spot and helps us to consider that there's work happening right now that's evidence of a more equitable and accessible future of learning. With that, I hope you enjoy the episode. all right so i'm very excited to welcome dr Corey steiner to this episode of the reinvention lab audio experience welcome dr steiner
1: well thank you so much for having me elizabeth i'm really excited to be with you today
0: yeah it's so good to have you and um I've just gotten to hear such good things about your work and about the things happening in your school district. And um, I wanna start with a little bit of storytelling. So can you tell me how um, have you kind of found yourself in this place that your school district has transitioned to um, standards-based grading?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, at Northern Cats, we're pre-K through 12. We're in rural North Dakota, about 700 learners. and it probably happened about four years ago through a teacher leadership academy, um, and we said, what if we did kind of a, a micro school approach and tried to change the way we, we did things for learners to better meet them where they're at in their learning, to truly, you know, meet them as individuals. And one of our educators looked at me and said, well, is this good for every kid? And I said, well, of course it is. And he goes, then why wouldn't we change and do it for every kid. And it was one of those moments that we looked at each other with a little bit of fear in our eyes because we're like, oh my gosh, like we're going to do this. We're going to tear down a system that has really good results and make this happen. And, and it eventually came to this idea we have a wise statement instead of a, a vision. And it's we believe every learner can change the world, therefore, we'll provide a world class education. And, and we kept coming back to that our educators are world class but we could never figure out what a world-class system looked like. And we realized it's because the system was flawed. Um, And it's flawed not because it's not getting results. Our system that we have in education today gets the results it's supposed to. It ranks, it sorts, and it selects kids. Um, Mm -hmm. We decided that we had to blow up that system and start all over. And so it was just, it was literally a 15-second conversation and kind of like in that look that, oh my gosh, we're, we're gonna do this And then since then, it's been a lot of hard work and ups and downs to get to a point now where I think we're finally becoming truly a learner-centered organization.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what I'm hearing in that story, too, is the willingness to kind of embrace the discomfort of that realization and say, we're going to do this, even if it's so different from what we have always done.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're I mean, absolutely right. We say a couple of things. We said, let's be brave before perfect, because if we want to be perfect, we'll never get anything accomplished. And then we also said just because something is hard is not evidence it is wrong. So let's let's be okay being uncomfortable. Let's be okay making mistakes and let's use the right mindset to move forward.
0: That is a word. Let's be brave before we are perfect. Um, And I feel like so much that has come since that decision has taken additional bravery. Um, And so I'm curious, what I hear you saying is that we really needed to rethink the whole system um, because the system we were operating under was actually doing what it was supposed to do. Um, But we needed a system that did something different for learners and for instructors. And so I'm curious, what have been um, some of the reciprocal effects of this move in the system Uh, that you've seen on like instructional practice and on student culture? Like how have you seen those things start to follow suit from a shift to standards-based grading?
1: I think the things that we have seen is we went from this idea of we're gonna be the the people that have all the knowledge the teachers are, and we call them educators now. They're Mm -hmm. gonna give the knowledge to learners. Learners will regurgitate that or share that they've learned that knowledge and we move on now our instructional practices are are very little direct instruction, which we actually call seminars. And it's a lot of coaching sessions with learners in small groups and conferencing one-on-one. And it's also allowing learners to go at a pace that works for them. It doesn't mean they have to go faster. It doesn't mean they have to go slower, but it means the pace that works for them, which also allows them to dig in deeper to topics that they're really interested in. And and we're far from perfect with that, but I'm starting to see those as the main instructional practices which, I mean, ultimately was the first thing that we really had to start to change was how do we work with learners? And, and it's really a co-facilitation, a co-led process where before it was really driven by the adults. Um, in terms of students, which we now call learners, the agency has increased. Um, we do tons of panels, tons of site visits where people come into our building and, and our kids run those. From the moment people walk through the door, they do the tours, they answer the questions, they lead the panels. Um, and our learners will tell you that, like, you know, are you think you're ready for college? And they like that's a, that kind of has a joke to them because they've been given the opportunity to manage deadlines, to organize their work. Uh, they begin the opportunity to give feedback on their work and make corrections because there is no endpoint with the work that they do for us. Um, I've, I've just seen learners rise to a level that, I, to be honest, I didn't think they were capable of anywhere um, and I, I knew that if we had higher expectations, they could meet it. Now, it's not perfect. Not every learner gets there. Not every learner. We still have bumps because they're kids. Their brains are still developing. So just fixing this system doesn't mean every kid gets it perfectly. But the one thing we have seen is every learner has had some form of success in this system where we couldn't say that with the old system.
0: So let's talk about this system. I think some folks may be listening and thinking, like, what? you know what are we talking about when you talk about this innovation of standards-based grading um are you doing away with grades is it just like instead of letters you're using numbers what are we talking about when we talk about this shift in the system
1: um the shift to standards-based grading was something we said oh do we want to live in both worlds do you want to try it Do you want to do part of it, you know, part standards-based, part percentage letters? And our people just said, if we're going to do it, let's go. And and that was with a lot of bumps in the road. Uh, Grading is a very personal thing to educators and even more personal to parents and learners. So what, what we have done is we got rid of percentage and letter grades for any courses we don't own. We still have some college courses that we don't own. Our kids are taken from the local universities. So on their transcript, that might be reflected as a percentage grade. Okay. And we went to a, a four, three, two, one system. Three is proficient, and that simply means they're able to do the standard. We took our standards and we reduced them down to about 12 to 16 per class or per core area. And then what we require is three pieces of evidence. And this was this was a really interesting piece because when I say that, what people automatically go to is oh, okay, so like you have three quizzes or three tests, mm-hmm. and I say, No, it's just evidence. A test doesn't count anymore than another piece of evidence. So if if you wanna give a worksheet to a learner and you feel like that worksheet is a good piece of evidence that they they can demonstrate proficiency, that's perfectly fine. But that test is not weighted, it doesn't count. So now we've seen our assessments go to more project-based or performance-based. And we've seen our assessments go from maybe, hey, we're gonna give a 50 question Thing, tests to five to eight questions that is purely based on the standards. We're no longer asking level two questions, which is typically some fundamental information, vocab, Yeah. Um, And then the other part that was really important for us is getting to a score four is extended learning. And so we use a taxonomy, which was huge because we didn't have that right away. So we really bombed out on score fours right away. And I take the blame for that as a leader. We just didn't have a clear plan. And so what we've done is we've allowed them now to say, if it's analyzed, what's the taxonomy level above that? Uh, And we also let learners start to identify some of those things. So now we have what I think is a very robust system that. Parents have gotten behind, colleges have gotten behind, and I think I know our learners have because they tell us, well, it's about learning, it's not about the grade. Think about it in, like, in terms of a sports analogy, because this, this is something that was shared with me the other day. If a learner you know, is, is a shortstop and he can't field a ground ball, you break it down. So you don't just say, well, you can't do it. That's it. And you're a failure. You mm-hmm. break it down into steps. So you start, what's the fundamental things you teach them about those? What's it mean to, to what's the vocab when you're coaching them to field a ground ball, when they can field that ground ball, you don't want to stop there and say, okay, that's just good enough. Then you talk about how do you extend that? How do you even be better? How do you feel on the run? And so it's just about understanding that learning is a process and there is no end point in that process, but the insertion point can be anywhere in that process. Okay. And if a kid can fill that ground ball and do everything that they're supposed to at a high level, then we're not going to spend time teaching them that. We're just going to spend time giving them some practice occasionally to make sure that skill is still there.
0: All right. All right. Um so I want to kind of get into like a real concrete place of thinking about being a learner in a school that has adopted standards-based grading let's say I'm going into a class and I know it's a day that I have an assessment. What might my day be like as a learner? Like what might I be thinking about? What might I hear my teacher say or my instructor or educator say? Um, What is the like experience of being in a classroom on a day that I'm getting to to demonstrate my proficiency on a standard? Um
1: that, that's a great question. And, and the part I love about this is, and we still have some, some educators who will have a day where they test for the full group. Um, and that's okay in certain instances. But typically what you'll see is you'll see a learner going up to their educator and saying, I'm ready to assess. And the oh. educator saying, yes, yes, you are. I've looked through your evidence, all the evidence up to the assessment says you're ready for this. And remember, ultimately, an assessment shouldn't be a surprise. We know that they should be able to score at a three on that assessment. So you'll see indiv- individual learners going up to the educator asking to assess that day or to set up the schedule to assess that week. You will see sometimes that is a simple conversation where they'll say, all let right, let's, I'm gonna ask you some questions and let's have a conversation about it. That would be an assessment. We have some kids and learners that will say, hey, I wanna take a, I wanna take a pen and paper. That's perfectly fine. A lot mm-hmm. of learners will say, I, "I here's what I wanted to do," and they've made this plan and they put a plan in place with their educator. And now they're reporting out what the project is or what the artifact that they've created to demonstrate their learning. Um, the part I love about it is it's very rare to see like oh every kid doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. Like I said, it still mm-hmm. happens. But if in a system like this, if every kid's doing everything at the exact same time, that means every kid's at the exact same level. And we know this. We know that is just not true. It's, it's just not feasible that when we have a class of 25 kids that all 25 are ready for an assessment on the same day. So that's, that's really one of my key look for is when I'm in learning centers is, oh, yeah, I'm assessing, but the kid next to me is not that tells me that we are getting to a point that we're actually personalizing. And now we've fully implemented standards based grading because standards based grading is about the individual learner, not about the class.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, that raises this, I feel like, important point of learning also for young people, which is like, what, what happens with the student who maybe has been ready to assess for weeks, um, but lacks maybe the confidence or You know, like there's a character trait block, like Mm -hmm. not quite there yet, you know, Um, is that something that teachers or instructors are working with learners on also is like, here's the agency part. And here's kind of the boldness to say, like, Mm -hmm. I'm ready to assess.
1: Yeah, Elizabeth, I love that you asked that because you're talking about advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And and yes, that is huge because agency is, is a broad term. But now we are seeing our learners advocate. And yes, that's what their coaching sessions are for. That's when they're conferencing, when they're meeting with those kids and they're hearing like, okay, I've heard you say this, you know, for a week, you know, this you're ready. They're going to say, and they're going to give them some direction and say, all right, it's time to assess. So, and the learner might say, well, I need a few more days. No, you're ready. Let's assess. Then we'll conference on it and we'll figure out where you're at. Um, But they also teach them like how to advocate. And they'll say, all right, let's advocate. If you need more time, what would that look like? And they coach and they train kids and they teach them how to advocate and what those skills look like, what it sounds like, um, so you don't have that situation a lot where a learner might just be sitting because they have a little bit of fear. Uh, and again, because it's not not what we think of as a traditional test with all this weight, you know, where when back when I was in school and that was you know light years ago um, where you took a test and it's like oh geez I didn't do well and that's Mm going to drop my overall grade this isn't like that because Mm -hmm. this is just a piece of evidence so let's say they do take that assessment and they really weren't ready or was a bad day I broke up with my girlfriend I didn't play well at the game it was cold my car broke down any reason Mm -hmm. then they're we're going to look at that learner and say you know what then we're going to throw this out let's reassess or let's go through this and let's do some corrections and then we're going to reassess. And that happens a lot with our learners because they're they're kids and their brain is developing. But that that's one of the things I love about this system and not being not being a barrier of percentage grades and letter grades and tests counting for more and, and all that stuff that's been part yeah. of the system for hundreds of years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And not the one and done pressure of like today's the day I take this test. And um, kind of no matter what I have going on this is my shot. So one framework that we've been um, kind of building out and iterating on is the um, pull departures. And it's how we're defining and starting to explore innovative learning at the Reinvention Lab. Um, And one of my colleagues broke it down into the what, the why, the how, and the where of learning need to be radically different um, for a more equitable future of learning. And one thing I'm hearing in this example of standard space grading and in the way that you all have been playing it out is the how students learn is so different and that they are learning in close partnership um, and with like the responsibility and ownership over um, their own work, their own evidence and in partnership with their educators. So, What other or how else do you see this leading into like a radical departure from status quo learning um, in the what, the where, the how, or the why students are learning? Well, I mean,
1: we certainly see now uh, the why part has come to the surface for us. Um, and, and we were starting to talk about what we term signature experiences with a culminating impact. And that's a fancy way to say we're trying to figure out our portrait of a graduate, which we call portrait of a learner. Those competencies, those five skills, how do we ingrain that with mm-hmm. the academic standards? And so one of the things we heard from our learners is they're looking at us and saying, why am I learning this? Well, and we mm-hmm. say, well, here's why. And, and we always tell kids if, or educators, if they ask why they're learning it, we've already failed. Because we didn't do the front end work on that. And so now we're really working with learners about when they're asking that why, we're talking about it in terms of skills instead of content. And and we're in the middle of that shift and it's really messy. But we have found that that why we're learning it and I'm not talking about, well, I'm learning algebra too, because I'm going to go to college and in a college, I'm going to have to take college algebra. We're talking about that in terms of, well, you know, we're learning this concept and we're going to really focus on collaboration around this concept. Um, so they're understanding like, okay, you know, maybe this skill isn't something that I might use down the road in terms of like this content, but in terms of collaboration, that's a skill. So we're going to focus on that. And so mm-hmm. we're seeing learners that are more engaged in certain areas when they can when they can see that. They're not asking why as much because we're starting to put that focus. In, and this goes all the way down into the elementary. I have a level three educator who is doing TED Talks with their learners on leadership. Um, and th- it's part of our ELA standard. And so what we're starting to finally see as a crossover where it's really great to say, well, is this content or is it a competency? And I'll say, it doesn't matter.
0: It's learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And that idea that learning is always happening, you know, it's not just like when you are in um, algebra class and you know, you want to go into a STEM career, like learning is happening on your way to that class in a conversation with, a, with another student, like the, all of those moments are moments of learning. And I would guess that this um, systemic shift helps learners to see that, too, and helps them to think about more of the whys behind everyday learning experiences as well. That's
1: the other thing that we're starting to see. Because we're not so focused on every academic standard, our relationships have become even stronger. And when mm-hmm. we survey our learners, that is what they're saying. Uh, the survey the other day was we feel connected to our educators and one another, but we don't feel learning has enough meaning. So like we were like, how do we build on those relationships mm-hmm. and ask questions of learners? But the hard part then is we got to listen to what they're saying. And that's not always easy for us to do.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be brave in responding <laughs> to it, right? Before you're perfect. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is all just, it's it's such a um, it's such a mindset shift. And I can just imagine educators who many have been in the classroom or in the work for decades, um, thinking about like what would my day-to-day look like if I didn't, if I didn't have <laughs> percentage grades, letter grades as a mode of evaluation. Um, And I I think there's so much richness in the conversation we've been having. I'm also curious how your educators made this shift. And you mentioned bumps in the road. And I'd love to hear like, as an educator stepping into um, a new school year, what might be some of the mindsets I need to put on or I need to take off in order to really live into the potential of standards-based grading?
1: you know when we uh, yeah so we're we're hiring for some new positions next year and and we, we always ask them what do you know about our school district and we look for those key terms just like everyone does and then and we'll ask them what do you know about standards-based grading and and everybody will say oh yeah you know we, we did a little bit of that at my school or here's what it is and then what we try to explain to them is that that's that's one systems, but our system looks different. Mm -hmm. And so we're actually now developing a mentor system that the moment we hire them, we're gonna start a mentoring process to get them ready. And one of the key concepts in that mentoring process is standards-based grades, because there is a mindset shift to dispel some myths for them immediately Mm -hmm. Um, And we have to make sure that they understand that on day one, because if they don't, they're not collecting evidence and they're not capturing conversations in their mind as evidence. They only think of paper and pencil as evidence. So they have to start to understand when they're walking by a learner and they hear him say something, ah, there's a piece of evidence and I can track that. And so we really have to work hard at them to understand, like your observation and listening skills have to be extremely keen in this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you asked the question a little bit about how about what about educators who are here and have done this? You know, one of the things I tell people is we we don't do anything in our district on consensus. We do it on commitment. Are we going to commit as a group to do what's right for learners? And if we do what's right for learners, we believe that will fill us as educators. Mm -hmm. And when we were doing this work, uh, again, it was really tough. Like I said, the, we didn't give them good direction on the score four parts, so we we flailed in that. And finally, after about three months of that, we said, "All right, that's enough. Let's sit back down. Let's get crystal clear on that." And for the next five months, our our one PD day a month, we did. We focused on nothing but score fours and shared them and collaborated. And we've gotten better at it. We're not perfect at it, but we've gotten better at it. Um, but what I would tell an educator who comes into our district and says, "Well, you know, how is this going to be better for me?" I'm like. You don't, you don't have to take home 80 tests and grade them. Mm. You, you just don't. It's not how it needs to look. And if you're doing that, I would say you're doing it wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: you're, you're doing that in the moment. You five question assessment, you have one kid come in, you sit down with them and you conference. I'm like, the reason you got into education is because you love working with kids. You're going to get to work more closely and intimately with kids in a system like this because you're not going to be worried about spending your time correcting, putting things in a grade book, Um, it's all about the interaction with the learner.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and looking for evidence in each of those interactions. Um, So I'd love to, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the potential of this type of systemic shift, especially as you think um, beyond the context of your school, when you think about how this could scale Um, and I use that word consciously like we're not thinking like every good thing needs to be taken and made very big you know but when you think about the potential for standards-based grading in school districts that may look different than yours um, three years from now five years from now ten years from now what do you think is some of the potential impact on the work that education needs to do around equity
1: yeah, good. That's it's such a great question. I mean, that, that that word is is in our minds all the time when we're making decisions. And I, I tell people this, um, there's one thing that I can guarantee when I can guarantee equity, and that is a truly learner centered system, the system we're trying to create, because and I honestly, I don't know if we'll ever get there, because I have found that this is always continuous improvement, you're always trying to get better, which is like the first time I understood that jargon in education when, until we, when we started doing this but an equitable education system is one that recognizes every individual learner has certain strengths, certain opportunities to get better, and Mm -hmm. comes from different circumstances outside our building. And it takes all those things into account, and it allows the system to meet their individual needs. Um, That's an equitable system. And, And this work will allow that to happen. And you know I know people get worried and they say, well, if I do this with 30 kids, I'll have 30 kids at different spots, it's impossible. And you will find that you're still gonna have kids that are, are kind of in that middle group, a group that's ready to go in a group that needs more support, but it's now the difference is, is how you let them go. It's okay to let them go instead of saying, well, just do more problems. And the kids that are, are behind in the old system know that they're just where they're supposed to be. Instead of I'm failing, they're right where they need to be. Yeah. And again, I think an equitable system is one that where kids don't see themselves as a failure because the system has failed
0: them. And yeah. so, the,
1: I mean, that's when we think of scale, this work, although hard, can be scaled. And that answers to me the major question on equity and the problems we're having in our country and our system.
0: hmm. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm hearing also like the way that a system like one based around standards based grading, um, it pushes educators to know their students and to know their learners and where they are. And there aren't surprises on test day. There aren't um, failures. There's evidence that pushes you into another conversation. And I think that that is the work of equity, too. It is relational. It is knowing your learners. And looking for a sense of like why they're doing the things they're doing. So I'm I'm seeing it throughout our conversation.
1: The one thing I'll share on that, I, I love what you're what you're saying, but an equitable system doesn't make educators ask for permission to help a learner. Yeah. And, and that that's honestly the old system is that it's like, hey, can I give this kid a couple extra days? Hey, he has a 59%. Mm-hmm. Can we round up? Like those aren't conversations we have. Because the this, this system is built in a manner that says, do everything in your power for a learner to make sure that they learn and mm-hmm. make sure they grow. And, and ultimately, like I said, our test is not our graduation rate or our standardized test scores. Are these people that leave our building good human beings when they're, when they're 30 years old and giving back to the community, then I will always stand, uh, stand at the top and shout that this system is the right system.
0: Mm, yeah, there's a lot of beauty in that. And I think there's a lot of like potential in that. And I also understand like someone being an educator and hearing this and it feeling kind of scary. (laughs) So I, I am curious like how you have seen families and community members respond to this shift. I was, was there pushback? Was there like an eagerness to adopt something new? Like how has that looked and felt? Yeah,
1: we, I mean, in terms of the standards based grading side right away, there was a lot of pushback. Um, one, because it was different. And there was a big fear, we have about 85% of our kids that go to college, um, we're, we're fortunate in that it's always kind of been that way. But we didn't have a lot of kids being successful in getting out of college, or if they got out of college, they weren't usually in the area that they majored in, because they weren't passionate about it. And that's where we asked, we asked parents, do you want us to be able to give your learner what they need? Every one of them did. And I said, what if I told you right now, we can't do that. And so when we've made this shift to standards-based grading and we've gotten better at score fours and better at a conversion to a GPA, um, parents have been more accepting of that. And we've heard parents shift from worrying about the GPA to my kids learning it, they are getting prepared, um, and and asking really good questions, um, not hey, they should have had an A on this paper to tell me what they've learned and what they could do better and what I as a parent could do to help them. And it's it's ultimately become more of a partnership. Yeah. Um, and when people don't like something or they're not sure they're asking Yeah. and we're, we're trying to clarify. And there's been times when they've said it like, boy, we never thought about that and we've learned from them. Um, so th- yeah, right away there was pushback. Um, but the other thing we did is uh, my director of personalized learning and myself, we went out and we did a road show. We went out to our research universities, our fine arts universities, a couple of private universities. And we said, what would you do if we did this in our system and we gave you this on a transcript? And they were like, yeah, we'll do it. And we had them write letters of support. We shared that with our community. We got legislation changed to allow standards-based grading as a scholarship tool for our state scholarship. Um, our department of public instruction is led by superintendent Kirsten Basel, who's absolutely one of the most innovative people you ever meet. She has is- pushed and worked with us on legislation changes to make sure these kind of things are supported and that barriers, barriers are reduced. So certainly pushback, but as we've gotten all these other entities involved and worked with them, uh, what we see now is people excited about the opportunity. We have 35% of our kids that come from outside our district. We think part of that is because we do approach learning differently.
0: Um, Well, I'd love to know from you, is there anything we didn't get to touch on that you want to make sure folks know is a part of the story of Northern Cast?
1: Yeah, I think the one thing I would share for anybody that says, oh, I want to do this, I want to do standards based grade, you don't do it. I mean, it's not something you do. It it, it is something that you really have to commit and embrace, Mm -hmm. because it is such a significant change. And ultimately, the most important part to do any of this work is culture. Don't forget about the culture of your people, because there will be such significant ups and downs. We almost saw kind of a grief process Mm -hmm. with people because they were giving up something they had done and done exceptionally well. Because our culture was so strong, we took the jump, our culture took a hit. And we have had to have times where we've kind of just put things on hold and build our culture back up. So like none of this work gets done without a strong culture and taking care of the educators and recognizing their greatness as well. Because ultimately, they they are the ones that will have to do the work. It's not me, but they're the ones that have to do the work and have to understand too that they'll give up some power to learners. And um, our people have been willing and able to do that. But the culture is ultimately the foundation of any innovative work.
0: And and for folks who are thinking about like this kind of a shift or other systemic shifts, I'm hearing over and over in the way that you talk about this shift in your context that I think is important for any context is that this is something you all underwent as a collective. Mm -hmm. Um, This was not something that one person got a wild hair and said, like, we're going to do this and, you know, kind of like follow me or don't. But, you know, so I think there's so much power and like so much of whether or not education will look radically different in the future is grounded in like can we kind of mobilize around things as a collective and can we see the importance of needing to have the folks in our community, our educators, our students and families like giving each other time to get to the same page and mobilize around an issue
1: the thing that's nice is not every educator in our in our districts at the same spot because they, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be just like learners are not at the same spot. Mm-hmm. But because we went through the work together, we realize we can fail together and it's OK. Mm-hmm. But you'll have a whole group of people that have had success and they can they can collaborate with you in that moment. When we succeed, we succeed together.
0: I can see so many ways that uh, the work that you all are doing in Northern CAST gives folks a concrete sense of a radically different future. Um, So thank you, Dr. Steiner.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Again, we have such gifted educators in this country, not just here, but in this country. Um, They can do it. They can do it if they're supported and given an opportunity.
0: Yes, absolutely. Where can folks learn more about the work that you all are doing and and, um, some of the lessons learned?
1: Uh, if, you know, if they go to our website at uh, we've got a personalized learning site on there, which will share some of the, the videos and some of the work we've done. Um, and then there's also contact information. And I tell everyone, just reach out and email me. I'm not the expert in any of this. Uh, we, like I said, we, we were brave, but I will get them in contact with educators doing it. And I will guarantee they will reach back out and give you as much time as you need because that's the other thing we've all committed to doing is we'll share this with anyone because we believe it's part of our moral imperative as a district to share with others and help them in their journey to innovation.
0: Thank you again so much for this conversation, Dr. Steiner, and best of luck.
1: I appreciate it greatly. You have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Reinvention Lab audio experience. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Reinvention Lab. On LinkedIn, we are the Reinvention Lab at Teach for America. And be sure to subscribe for the new episodes dropping each week.